glad that you're here. Don was uh, making our announcements, and did you notice he stopped for a moment? He said, we've got one more thing to do next week, and my heart jumped. I thought, well, surely they're not going to vote on the preacher, you know. Well, yeah, I'm glad you're here. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to go to me to a wonderful, wonderful book in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. We were there last week. We're going to be there this week. We're going to take, we've got a lot to do next week, of course, with our ministry fair, but I'm going to share a few things next week. Uh, also, out of Joshua's, we try to wrap it up and um, move into gearing up for 2015. One of my uh, favorite shows growing up uh, was Mission Impossible. Y'all remember that? Do you? Okay. I love that song. You remember, you remember that show, do you? Yeah, some of you have maybe too young. Next service, I guarantee you, some probably don't, you know. The head guy was given a strange message. Came to him in a strange way, telling him he had a strange challenge ahead of him. And if you remember in the show, every week, you know, the call would end in a strange way. If you choose to accept it, and then the telephone would, you know, evaporate or something like that. Well, today in Joshua, we're going to kind of have the same thing going on, okay? It's the same scenario, but there's one major difference. There is no condition. There's no if to it. God's going to tell Joshua, Joshua, get up and go forth. And what he's going to tell Joshua is this, that mission impossible becomes mission possible. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today, okay? We began our short series last week. We actually began in chapter 3. That was the chapter where Joshua was getting his people ready to cross the river into the promised land. He gave them three requirements. We, we discussed them. The idea of the message was this, that if you're going to attempt a great challenge for God's glory, then you have to meet God's requirements. And if you were here last week, I, I mentioned to you that in chapter 3, there were three requirements. Let me, let me just kind of review for just a moment, okay? Requirement number one is this, focus requires conviction. Joshua told the people, if you remember, he said, keep your eyes on the ark. The ark represented the presence of God, represented God. And so Joshua, first of all, told the people, keep your eyes on God. He'll go ahead of you. Now, what he was trying to get them to do is to realize that you can't look at your circumstances. Gang, if you look around, you're going to get waylaid an awful lot, aren't you? Things on the outside, circumstances on the outside can lead to a lot of confusion, can lead to a lot of heartache. So he wanted them to keep their eyes focused on God. In fact, he was actually telling them, don't let your thoughts drift, which applies to people like me, okay? My attention span's about like, about like a second grader, you know. 
And so what I've had to do in my life is realize, Tommy, you got to not look around at all the challenges and look around at all the things going on. you got to stay focused, and your attention has got to be on God. That's the first requirement we talked about. Secondly, the second requirement in chapter 3 was there's a faithfulness that requires our confidence. Remember, he said, consecrate yourself. The word means to come apart, to be separate be separate from anything that's unclean. You have to place yourself before God, holy and righteous, as best you can. And I said something to you last week. I want to say again this week. Gang, there's no shortcut to holiness. You can't, you might bend the corners on some things. You might blur the line in other things. But when it comes to following fully after God, gang, you can't cut corners. There's no shortcuts to holiness. I think we as believers must constantly be reminded of that. Not just in our ears, but in our soul. I think we need to, from time to time, evaluate our lives. Tom, how are you living before God? How are you acting before God? What are you saying? What are you reading? What are you watching? Tom, there's no shortcuts, Tom, to holiness. And if we're going to accomplish great things for God through our church this next year, gang, we're going to have to have clean hands. And we're going to have to have clean hearts. And that's what Joshua, God told Joshua to tell the people. And the last thing we talked about last week is that there's a fearlessness that requires courage. Gang, listen, any God-sized project requires courage. Anything God ordains will come to pass. But we can't be wimps if God is going to use us to fulfill that which he has ordained. Okay? So that was last week. Tell you what I want to do this morning. I want you to go with me to Joshua chapter 1. And I want to go back to the beginning. When God first comes to Joshua, God gives him his marching orders. It's an incredible moment. Think about it. You gotta, I'm going to say in a moment, you've got to place yourself there. For 40 years, Moses has been the center of the nation. Moses has been the one constant in a sea of wavering emotions in a sea of continual disobedience to Yahweh. The people know that if it hadn't been for Moses, then they would have been killed a long time ago. And yet time marches on, and Moses is no more. And now Joshua is kicked up to lead the people. I can tell you, I imagine for Joshua, it was a moment of great fear, so it required a moment of, great faith. And like I said, you've got to allow yourself into the moment to get a sense of what Joshua may have felt so we could appreciate what God said to him and what God did through him. Remember, he's looking at a river at flood stage. We talked about that last week from a few hundred yards wide to a a million wide. There's a river overflowing its banks. He's got well over several million people None of them were really warriors at all. So somehow, Moses is gone. Joshua's kicked up. 
He's got to lead millions of people that was not an army to cross a river, conquer giants. That's what we see happening in Joshua chapter 1. Let's stand. I know you've stood a lot, but I'd rather stand to read the word than stand to sing. Can I get an amen? Our age says, yeah, preacher. You know. Now, the next group will say, no, nah, that ain't right. But anyway, this group says we stand too much. But let's read Joshua chapter 1. Now, it came about after the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, now notice what he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And you can just hear a growl, bam. Joshua's gone. The man who has been the center of attention for 40 years, Joshua, is no more. Now you, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the, from the left or to the right, that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, I love these nine verses. I love them because as we continue to read Joshua, this is exactly what happened. You spoke it, it happened, the people followed, and there was an incredible victory. And those principles that applied then apply to us today. Now, our rivers may be a little different, our enemies may be a little different, but the challenges are still there. The challenge to be faithful in obedience to our master. I pray we can get from this today something that will help us in our families, something that will help us in our church to live for you this next year. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks. Be seated. Keep your Bibles open if you would. I want to kind of take these nine verses. First thing I want us to do is, is see what God says to him because there's something amazing in here, I think, that will kind of 
open your eyes a little bit to what's going on in Israel today. And then I want to kind of close it out with what God did for Joshua, okay? First of all, what God says. In the march of time, God always allows new beginnings. Guys, remember that. In the march of time, God always allows new beginnings. In my years here, 18 plus now, I've seen people come. And I've had people say to me, you know, Tom, we're excited to be here. We believe God's brought us to Indian Springs and brought us to Bryan or, or Benton or Saline County. And the reason is we believe God wants us to have a new beginning. God wants us to start over. There's some things in our life we're wanting to get rid of, and there's some things in our life we're wanting to build. And in and, and, and the same breath, there's been people who have left us. We've had some, I remember a family moving to Rogers. It just broke my heart. Good, good family. And they came to see me. And I, I looked at that family and I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, lead their family and I'm going to marry their kids and I may even bury them, you know. And, and then they came to see me and they said, you know, Tom, we're, we're moving. And I said, oh, you can't, you can't move. And they said, uh, yeah, we're moving. And I, I just start crying. I said, why you? I mean, I could give some names to some others, you know, why why you? And they said, because we need a new beginning. There are some things in our life that we want to start over. We want to start fresh. I kept up with them. and My goodness, leaving us broke my heart, but it was the best thing in the world for them. And part of what's happening here is they're in a new beginning. It may be a new leader, maybe a new task, maybe both. But you see, God comes to Joshua, and he, he wants him to know that the God that he serves and the God that he loves is a dynamic God. He's dynamic in the sense that he's always with his people. And he's always pushing his people to move forward, to start. For, aren't you glad that he's the God of the second chance? Gang, listen, I, I, we were down home for the holidays. And you know, I was with all my in-laws and outlaws, you know. And uh, they know me. And one of them asked me, well, how, how, they call me preacher. I think they do it as a joke. And they say, uh, they said, well, preacher, how you doing? And I said, I'm doing well. And I know what they were thinking. Yeah, well, we knew you on the other side, you know. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad, church, that God allows fresh starts? Aren't you glad that God gives us second opportunities to take stock of our lives, take stock of our churches, and say, okay, God, now what? Which way now, God? And that's what's happening here, pushing his people. Now, God had a preordained plan. We, we could call it a promise. He made it 500 years earlier to Father Abraham. And so he comes now to Joshua. And he said, the promise is the same, Joshua. Moses is dead. You get up. And now it's your turn to lead the people. I want you to look at verse 1 for just a moment. Notice the title that he gives to God there, the word Yahweh. He could have used Elohim, which is that creator name, that powerful name. But I think it's very important that the word Yahweh is used here because it identifies God as the God of relationship, the God of covenant, the God of promise. You see, Yahweh is the relationship name for God. It's a personal name for God. 
It's a name that was given to Moses at the burning bush. And so what I tell you what I see here, I think Joshua needs some encouragement, okay? And so I think what the writer writes and what God is doing is say, Joshua, I'm your God. I'm Yahweh. I'm the God of the promise. I'm the God of relationship. The God who gave the promise to Abraham, the God that walked through Moses, Joshua, is the same God that's going to walk with you. He is no more, but I am always here. I'm always the same. Had to encourage him, don't you think? Huh? Notice verse 2. God says, I am giving. That's present tense. He's wanting Joshua to know there's a process here. That God's people had to be involved. That God's people had to step forth and respond in obedience and by faith to, to, to accomplish what he wanted. But then in verse 3, he says, I have given, which is past tense, which means that he confirms that mission impossible becomes mission possible. I love that. God has ordained it. It's going to happen. It's as good as done. But it's got to happen, and it can only happen through the people. Gang, you understand what that means for Indian Springs Baptist Church? That God has some things for us. That God has some plans for us. There are some things that God would be pleased to do through Indian Springs Baptist Church in the future. But it's not going to happen unless it happens through us. Clean people, hungry people, not perfect people, primarily obedient people. I want you to notice, beginning verses 3 through 5, how it's outlined. This blew my, my mind. In verses 3 through 5, God outlines the land of Israel. Very interesting and kind of thought-provoking because most of us, when we think of Israel, we think of a little dot of land in the Middle East, don't we? And this little dot of land just causes so much <clears throat> confusion and conflict, and we wonder, how can a little dot cause this much of a challenge? But there's more in mind. One theologian said it, <clears throat> excuse me, said it this way. The land that God is talking about would cover would cover modern Israel, the whole of Jordan, a large part of Saudi Arabia, half of Iraq, the whole of Lebanon, part of Syria, and all of Kuwait. Now you think about that for a moment, gang. Maybe that's one reason so many people hate Israel. Because they know that there's something special about this land that God calls mine. And so he comes and he, first of all, says all these things to Joshua. I think to challenge him. I think to encourage him. I think to challenge us because of the principles involved. And to challenge us. Secondly, notice what God does. Now, remember last week, I mentioned to you that when God declares his intentions, it always requires a response from the people, a response of faith. 
Beginning in verse 6 through verse 9, God gives his promise to the nation. It's a, it's a threefold promise. Every one of the promises are built around the words, be strong and courageous. Every one of them. So God would be saying to us, if we want to take this and, and bring it into uh, present tense, God would be saying to us, Indian Springs, whatever you do, whatever I lead you to do, whatever's going to require you to step up by faith, you've got to be strong and courageous. Not arrogant, but strong. And it's going to require courage from you. The word strong means to grab hold. When God speaks, we grab hold of it. By the way, that works for your family as well. That daddy who stood before me those several years ago and said, we have to have a new beginning, we're, we're moving. And he, he said, God wants us to. And he grabbed hold of what God told him. That's what that word, grab hold. And then the word courageous means to be on the alert and to be steadfast. Pay attention with what God is desiring, and don't quit. Be steadfast. Does it mean there's going to be challenges? Yes. You'll see next week the challenge of our budget. Biggest budget we've ever had. Great challenge. We've got a little heart, heart well, Don has heart palpitations. His job's on the line. Amen. No, it's going to be challenging to us. So we have to be courageous. We have to be steadfast because it's what God wants us to do. Now let me outline these three be strong and courageous principles. Look at verse 6. The first thing he does, he gives them the promise of a possession. Kind of interesting. The battle hadn't even started yet. They hadn't even gotten across the swollen river. And yet, if you look at verse 6, the outcome's secure. That's still true for us, huh? God says, you shall give, I've sworn it. You shall give it to the people, I've sworn it to your fathers. Now, gang, listen, think about this. At this point, God did not give Joshua any explanations as to how. God just gave him the promise, and faith called for a response. God's people must live on promises, not explanations. Do you understand that principle? Man, that's, that's crucial. When we begin our planning, you're going you're gonna to want to know all the details from Don and myself. And I just tell you up front, I'm not sure we have all the details. We got the plan. We know what God wants. Don said, don't be sure, don't tell them we don't know what we're doing. So I'm not going to say we don't know what they're doing, but we're dangerously close. No, we know what we're doing. How's that, Don? That help you, brother? <laughs> yeah, we got a down pat, man. We know what he wants, but there are some of the details that are yet to be kind of worked out here, okay? And that, that's just the way it works. We don't live on explanations. We have to live on the promises. God says, go forth. And as you go forth, then God begins to detail it out for us, okay? God's people must live on what God says. Do you see how commitment from God is fulfilled by conviction of man? Do you? It's the way it works. He says it. We believe it. We respond to it. 
and we win. Okay? Now, it may not be just like we would have done it. Sometimes we preach, and Don will get through, or I'll get through, and we step out and say, boy, that wasn't the way I were. And when Roy, I wrote that thing out, you know. But that's just the way it is, and we win. The land was theirs, you see. It was God's character. It was God's integrity at stake here. It was going to happen. But they had to get busy. The promise of possessions, okay? Look at verse 7 and 8. There's a second promise. In fact, I believe it's critical here. You ought to, you ought to commit 7 and 8 to memory. It's the promise of power, Okay? Now, listen, gang, there's no doubt in my mind Joshua had to be a little nervous. Uh, maybe he was a little insecure as to his abilities. Man, he'd been following Moses for 40 years. Maybe he felt a little inadequate for the job. Most, frankly, most preachers that are called by God look in a mirror and say, man, this might be God's first mistake. You know, we, we understand that. And yet, let me tell you what's refreshing about verse 7 and 8. When you read the verses, you, you realize it's not about man's ability or man's adequacy at all. Because when you read those verses, you realize that the power's not in the man, the power's in the message. The power's in the Word of God, see? Did you, did you notice what God said to him? Do all that is in the law. Don't turn from it, from the left or the right. Don't let it depart out of your mouth. Meditate on it. That's kind of like the picture of a, of a cow chewing a cud. Keep on ruminating, chewing it, you know. It's only then you will have success. Do you want to know what I believe is wrong with our churches today? You want to know what I believe is wrong with our families today? Gang, it's not rocket science. The reason churches are struggling and the reason church members and Christians are weak is because the Word of God collects dust on our shelves. Whether it be in the home, whether it be in the pews, whether it be in the classrooms of our churches, it doesn't make a difference. The Word of God is not being grabbed hold of. And because of that, Christians are waiting. I'm telling you, gang, you listen to me. I, I love you. But if the Word of God doesn't have a place in your life on a regular basis, I'm not saying you've got to get up every day. I think you should and you ought to try for that. But I'll just, frankly, there's some days I, don't, I, there's some days I can't have a, a, a quiet time. Uh, man, there's some times uh, this past week, Miss Annie, with the, you know, with the home going of your, 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 your husband, I, I couldn't have that hour-long, 30-minute-long. Uh, there's just things coming into my life that, doesn't allow that, but I want to tell you, gang, on a regular basis, the Word of God has to have a regular spot in your life. It's just the way it is. And if you start sensing some weakness in your life or some weakness in your family life or we start sensing some weakness in our church life, I'll guarantee you, you can almost track it back to we have taken the Word of God, God's Word to man, and it's collecting a little dust because we're not appropriating it the way we should. You know? The power's in the Word. Not the abilities of man. The powers in the word, not the promotions and the programs of the church. Think about it. All Joshua had was the first five books of the Bible. We got it all. And we still find ourselves weak. Because we still don't. Meditate. Read it. Study it. And then appropriate the way we should. 
There's power through the word. If you don't get anything out, forget the little doom, 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 doom. Forget that. Although I never will. You remember this in your life. The power to live your life in a way that honors God comes from God's word. And I'll say that the day that might come when you don't see me consistently saying, opening your Bible, let's see what God says, then you might want to have a business meeting, and we may want to have that vote because everything falls apart without the power of the Word of God, okay? One last thing. Verse 9, very important. There's the promise of presence. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, we know what the Bible tells us, that God never slumbers or sleeps. We know the Bible tells us that God never leaves his children alone, even at times when he's silent. You ever wondered where God was in your prayers? You know? I mean, have you ever said something like, God, if you'll call, call, collect, God, I'll pay for the call, but, you know, you need to call me here. You know, have you ever done that? There are times when God is silent, but he never leaves. You remember that song? No, never. Oh, they told me I can't sing anymore. Never, no, never. You remember that song? Oh, it's so good because it's so true. He never leaves us alone, does he? See, the Great Commission, Jesus said, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. That's the last words that Jesus gave to the church. I'm with you to the end. Rise up. Go forth. Follow. And you win. Whatever he says, just like the ark, Going ahead of the people here, we can do it because in God's economy, it's already done. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, set aside our responsibility. Let me, let me emphasize that. In God's economy, it's done. But in God's economy, he uses people, right? Therefore, unashamedly, I say to you, you guys have to give. You've got to give your money. Someone said, we were looking at the budget, and it's a high budget, isn't it, Don? It's a little high up there, you know. And Someone said, well, we may be questioned because it's so high. I said, the problem's not the budget. The problem is the pockets of the people. Huh? Am I stepping on toes or maybe a whole foot? Problem's not. Gang, listen, you take a church our size, and you, you, you build into it what you believe faith requires, then you have to tell your people, hey, you've got to respond. If God's going to accomplish something, he, he, does he not accomplish it through the nation here? Yeah, sure. Somebody had to get across that river. Somebody had to take up arms. Somebody had to fight the enemy. Somebody had to conquer the opponents. It was people. And so I say to you, unashamed, and I'll say to the next generation, next service, which just tends to be a little bit younger, you know, you've got a responsibility here. It's called tithing. It's called giving. And so you do that. If not, you're stealing. Why should... Can I... I got time. Can I rant? Let me just, let me just tell you something. I had a couple, several years... You don't know the couple, so don't go think, well, that's probably John. Don't do that. Okay? Their whole life was going down in a cesspool. Everything was falling apart. And so I started asking about their life, and... Nothing squared with Scripture. Nothing did. And they weren't. Their money was bad. Their 
love was bad, their faithfulness, everything was bad. And they, one of the guy said, well, I just don't understand it. We're believers, and God's not blessing us. You know, I want to say, hello. But I was spiritual. I said, uh, well, let me ask you a question. If you were God, would you bless you? He looked at me, and he said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you were God, looking at the way you live your life, where you handle your finances, where you handle your relationships, where you handle your church, I said, would you bless you? He said, no. I said, hello. Then why would you expect God to bless you? See? So th that's what's happening here. He's with us, but sometimes when we don't align up with him, he's not blessing us, okay? Whatever he says, we do it because in God's economy it's done, but he expects us to do our part. Salvation, salvation is monergistic. Let me tell you what that means. Salvation is God alone. Man has no part in salvation, right? It's all by grace. You agree with that? One iota of work, one iota of effort means that you're not saved because the works doesn't save you. It's got to all be by grace. That's called monergism or monergistic. It's all of God without any work of man. But sanctification, the work of God in the family, in the church, in the world, is synergistic. It requires God's people to work together, bonding and blending together to make it work. So if you're not doing your part, then you're, number one, you're stealing from God. Why should he bless you? Number two, you're hurting. I was talking to a brother-in-law a year or so ago, and he's struggling with this Christianity thing. And, he, and he, here's what he told me. He said, well, it seems to me that the Catholics have it made. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, man, they go out and party. And then on Saturday, they, they go and they just say a few little prayers, whatever the guy tells them to do, and, and, and they just throw in a few bucks. Man, they can do whatever they want, and then they get it right on Saturday or, or Mass, and then they, they just do, and he said, and then you guys say you got to tithe, you know? And so I, I thought, well, how am I going to get out of this? Here's what I told them. I said, Donnie, you've got three wonderful kids. Do you have trouble giving to them? I mean, you love them, right? He said, yeah. You'll give to them anything they want, almost anything, won't you? You'll at least try. He said, yeah. I said, you know why? Because you love them. Gang, anything you love requires sacrifice, does it not? Sure. I guarantee you, we're going to spend a whole lot more money than we need to spend packing up a box of little goodies to send overseas to our grandkids. I'll fuss the whole way to the post office. And the reason we will is because we love them. And it's worth the sacrifice. If you're not faithful in your attendance, if you're not faithful in serving, if you're not faithful in giving, you don't love your church, which happens to be the bride of Christ, you see. So therefore, you're disobedient. So therefore, why should God respond? That's the premise here of verse 9. Okay? And by the way, one last thing, and I'm going to be through. Did you notice in verse 9, he threw in another name for God. He threw in Lord, which is uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, but he also threw in God, which is Elohim. So he threw in the name of God's power so they would know, or Joshua would know, that God never lets his people down and God never lets his people go. 
And it works so marvelously. Because at the end of Joshua's life, here's what he said. Not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled. Well, gang, I believe this. That when God gives a promise, he intends to keep it. And it will happen. But it will happen through those who get get themselves lined up. And all the promises that he gave them, the principles are still for us today if we line ourselves up. Our goal is to help our church line itself up under the directions of God this next year to accomplish great and mighty things. And you'll see that begin to unfold uh, next week. We'll have to take a little break for Christmas, and then in January we'll get right back at it, okay? Well, that's all I got. We better pray and get out. Okay, right, let's do this. Barb, why don't you come, sweetie? Our great pianist.